You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. You know, we love reviews of our show on your favorite podcasting software. This is a great way for others to find our program. And if you would be so kind as to take a minute on iTunes or Stitcher or Speaker, however you're finding this podcast, and write a review of our program, it really helps us to extend our reach and to help even more CEOs and business owners to learn from the experiences of their peers. And speaking of someone they can learn from, I'm excited to have Tammy Seacard, the author of her just-released book, Unleashed, The Power to Do More with More. She is on sharing her five decisions, which is a set of questions that can help guide an organization to unleashing their full potential to improve the quality of thinking and decision-making. With an expertise in strategic planning, integration across work processes, leadership development, and creating cultural change, you can be sure to trust Tammy when it comes to consulting and the like. I'm so excited to be here to talk about her book. Welcome to the program. Thank you for inviting me to be here today. Oh, it's, I've been excited to have you on the show since we started talking about having you here. So, but before we talk about your book, let's talk about the fact that you're also a CEO. Right. And your firm is Partnership Advantage. Can you tell me a bit about what your firm does? Sure, okay. I'd love to. Right. So, in a nutshell, Partnership Advantage aims to solve one very specific dilemma that many leaders and their teams face. We found that the tension between functional excellence, which of course every business needs, deep areas of expertise, the tension between those functional areas of expertise and cross-functional collaboration tends to be something that our clients struggle with, and that's the area we focus on to help. This is particularly important in any strategic initiative because, of course, strategic initiatives cut across the business. Mm -hmm. They don't exist or get addressed within silos or separate areas of the business, and in terms of which areas are strategic initiatives? I would say technology is probably the right. biggest area we help our clients with. And and I'll tell you, the technology is an interesting one because for a few reasons. One, it tends to be fairly expensive, you know, in time and dollars. So mm-hmm. oftentimes it has board visibility. It's a very heavy lift for clients. And then I would say, secondly, it's here to stay. Right. It's hard to imagine a business these days that is growing and changing in size and complexity Remaining competitive without technology, of course. Right. You have to continue to invest in technology, right? Exactly. Yeah. Improve your processes. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, increase effectiveness and efficiency in your operations. So so the other thing that I think is kind of even more interesting about technology, and it's one of the reasons that we focus on it so much, is if the tension that we're addressing is between functional areas of expertise on the one hand Mm -hmm. and cross-functional collaboration... Think about technology as something that is really agnostic to the way we design organizations. Right, right. So technology actually sees across those areas, straight through to the customer uh-huh. and to the bottom line. And so if we can help our leaders and their teams engage people to see the business the same way, then their people can make use of that technology to improve organization-wide results. So is it your experience that, generally speaking... When someone takes on a cross-division, cross cross-functional group project, that that's a smooth journey for the company? Typically, it is not. 
Okay. You know, typically it is not. I mean, in my experience, what happens is people um, focus on their part, understandably, right? We set really clear goals and give create a clear focus for people. Right. And people go to graduate school and they develop their deep expertise. But we don't always have a structure or process to get those people to come up out of their silo and look across the business and see how their work is impacted by or impacting other people's work. Uh-huh. And a, and a cross-functional project that gets implemented, technology or whatever, exposes that? It does. It does. You know, it's um, the statistic that I hear most often quoted on major technology and change projects uh-huh. is 70% of change efforts fail. And I think that's unfortunate. I also think that this is a key reason why and it's not just for large companies i'm I'm sure the data they skew towards large companies because that's much more visible but if you're a ceo of a middle market firm who has different departments you may be uh running the same risk of trying to implement some new erp system or some type of technological upgrade you may find that these silos exist within your firm too right right exactly Exactly. And so technology really does bring that to light because the technology, as I said, doesn't think that way. It thinks all the way across the business. And so if people use the technology within their separate areas to do the work of separate areas, it often disrupts operations. So we're talking with Tammy Seacard, and we're we're really going to, in addition to focusing on the fine work that she does for her clients with Partnership Advantage, the fact that she just released her latest book, uh, Unleashed. So Tell me a little bit about, before we talk about the content of the book, tell me, why'd you write this book? What's the inspiration? Yeah, so that's kind of a two-part question, actually. So the the simple answer is, a couple years ago, I made the decision to step back um, from my business and really give some thought to how I wanted to spend this last maybe seven to ten years of my career. What is the work I really wanted to be doing? And so while the idea of a book had come and gone really over the last 20 years, I had never really given myself the luxury of time to write it. And so while I was thinking about the work I wanted to do, the work just sort of fell into the book because the book ends up describing in pretty tight detail, I would say, uh-huh. with lots of examples and stories. But it's an easy read. It's an easy read. It's okay. less than 100 pages. So, okay. so that's what I mean by tight. So okay. there are stories, and my hope is that the readers can recognize their own stories in those stories and sure. see if this is actually an issue that would be helpful for them to address. Okay. And so um, the book became a nice container for describing my answer to that question, what is the work I want to be doing? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I told you the story once. My colleague, Rick Eigenbrod, told me that uh, he sees the book as uh, an expensive business card. Okay. And I think that's funny. Right. <laughs> He's a funny guy, but it's also true because it really does provide a high-level description of the issue as I see it and then a framework that leaders can use to um, engage people across those areas of the business. And then if they'd like help, they can call us. We have – there's a very soft introduction to our products and services really to just create a curiosity and an interest and and it gives the reader an opportunity to assess fit if we can be of service to them okay and so, and this model and system is proven by you i mean you 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 you've had direct experience helping companies use this your way of thinking to realize a return on their strategic investments right yes and what i'll say to that first is not at first um, one of the, the other half of my answer to your question, what inspired my writing the book, 
was uh, I had a client that actually had a terrible uh, project implementation. The project implementation failed. And so that was one of the things that precipitated my decision to step back Mm -hmm. and really think about what I wanted to be doing in my work. And so it started with their large-scale technology project. The, um, The organization had invested a very large sum of money and two years to implement the technology. And at the end of the two years, they determined that the system had failed. The system implementation had failed. It was not meeting their business needs. And you know, Rick, at the time, I had this sense that though they were deeming the technology a failure, it really wasn't the technology. For one, I had seen other organizations make use of the technology, and it worked just fine. But I also felt like there was more to the story than was meeting the eye. And I realized at the time that I didn't have the language or the words to help that executive team see mm. what else might have been going on. So I felt like I really needed to, if I was ever going to step into this work again, I needed to answer that. And I, quite honestly, I wasn't sure I would, but I'm happy to be back in it because I do feel like the book does describe a very relevant issue and dilemma that clients face. Mm. And it's very accessible and it's very practical um, and it's very important work. So... Um, Back to your question, what inspired my writing the book in not being successful in helping them, I wanted to be able to really describe in very accessible language what was going on. And what was going on was not a technology problem at all. It was an engagement problem. Hmm. And so if you're a customer of any business, you actually know exactly what I mean. And one of the stories I'll just tell that is in the book that will kind of make this real for people a dear friend of mine lost her husband. I mean, her, her father. He passed away, and he had been sick for a while. He was in a hospital. So he died in the hospital. A full two weeks later, that hospital called him and left him a message at home, which, of course, was terribly, terribly upsetting to a family that was already grieving. Right. right? Wow. And so... You know, of course, nobody wants to do something like this. No, no hospital, no business wants to do that. But it, what I what I would say about that is there are many ways in which we unwittingly in organizations punish our customers for the way we're structured. Okay, and that was a sad, unfortunate example of areas of the business working in isolation. Right, and as a result, customers the and experience. profitability right. suffer. So again, you know, we need those separate areas of expertise to get anything done. But when they become isolated from each other, it really creates issues for customers for the bottom line. Right. And so since technology is agnostic to the way we divide work up, we like to help leaders and their teams engage people across these boundaries to find those places where handoffs are an issue, where information or product is not moving effectively across the business to Mm -hmm. optimize returns and customer satisfaction. So we like to help them find those and fix them. Great. Well, we're talking with Tammy Seacard, and we're talking about her book and her her life experiences. So um, we have a few minutes before the next uh, short break. Uh, two minutes. So I think I'm going to ask the engineer to take the break now because I don't want to. A- I, w- I want to ask you about the five decisions and get into that conversation. I'm not sure I can get it done in a minute or two. So, ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to want to go anywhere. We only have one short uh, cor- interruption here, which is a commercial for one of the businesses we do here at Critical Mass for Business. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Tammy after this word from Critical Mass. <laughs> Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. 
Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Welcome back to the Decision of Critical Mass radio show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. You know, a great way to stay informed about our guests is to sign up for our weekly newsletter. We send out one newsletter at the beginning of each week, which talks about the guests that are going to be on the show, if you go to criticalmass4, spelled F-O-R, business.com, and at the bottom of any of the pages on our website, there's a join our mailing list box. Simply type in your email address, hit subscribe, you will then be automatically subscribing and receiving our weekly newsletter, which has information, as I said, about our upcoming guests, as well as special insights from me and a recap of the previous week's, uh, the takeaways that we had from the previous week's guests. And again, you receive one email a week. would really encourage you, if you're interested in the content, to subscribe to our newsletter. All right, Tammy, right before the break, I said I was going to ask you about what are the five decisions that you've included in your book that really kind of are the foundation for your book? Yeah, that's that's the point, isn't it? <laughs> so um, the five decisions are exactly that. They're a framework. They're a set of decisions that, exec- that leaders and their teams can use to engage people to bridge the individual, the differentiated areas across the business. So uh, I'm going to tell you a story to bring it to life. Okay. I had a client, a medical device company, And the scientists were working with the customers while the customers were actually using their technology. And it was a a way of creating innovative solutions to to existing technology and innovations they had created. So they were watching the client, the customer, use the device. It was a hospital. They were using the device, and they were asking questions and observing. and, And at one point, the executive in charge said, you know, it would really be helpful if you could change the direction that the lid on this machine works, it's huge, it fills this room, but if it opened right to left into, instead of front to back, it would make a huge difference for us. So, of course, the scientists said, well, of course we can do that. So mm-hmm. they changed the specs, and the device kept moving across the process, you know, quality assurance and chemistry and all, everybody who had to touch the project, except when it got to the manufacturing floor, they were not built. They were not designed to build the product in that direction. Uh So they had to stop the manufacturing process, retool the floor, and then begin building the the equipment again. Oops. Oops. I guess what happened, it was late and the customer wasn't happy. Right. So when we make a decision to make a change like that at one point in an end-to-end process, of course, the whole thing can go bump. Right. And so the five decisions framework is a way to engage people in conversations to prevent that from happening. So, for example, decision number one is determine purpose. And what we do in that work is make sure that people understand not only that what their work is so that it's actionable, but what's the larger outcome hmm. that their work contributes to. And I don't mean that in a fluffy sort of way, in a visionary soft sort of way. I mean in a very concrete, tangible way. What's the business outcome right. that I'm contributing to? There always has to be one, or why would you launch a project like that, right? Exactly, okay. exactly. And and when you ask people what's the purpose of this project, they're usually the first answer is from their functional perspective. So it takes a little okay. while to okay. kind of get their collective minds around their shared purpose. Okay. 
Well, once we do that, that lays the groundwork for, okay, then who are all the functions that we depend upon? Because they can't act Is on connections. Is that the second decision? So that's the second decision, okay. determine connections. So once people understand their shared purpose, then they can talk about who are the players, uh-huh. who are the stakeholders who are part of this. And they can begin to um, collaborate. But you can't act on a connection you don't see or okay. don't understand, right? So that's the second decision. And then things get interesting. Then that gives folks an opportunity to determine trade-offs. And those decisions, those conversations, just like, for example, um, the med device client, you know, had the scientists had a chance to get the manufacturing folks in the room, they could have said, oh, okay, well, we're going to have to retool the manufacturing floor. No problem. We can do that. And by the time you get it through. Right. Thanks for giving us a heads up. (laughs) We'll we'll be ready to just rock and roll. Right. Right. So, so when people understand how the business is connected across those functions and what the trade-offs decisions are that they are about to face, they can make those together. People are naturally creative and collaborative and curious. And um, my experience is people will do what's right for the business as a whole if they can. And the exact opposite happened unintentionally because I'm putting myself in the shoes of the manufacturing manager who probably felt set up Right, because yes. he's now got or she's got this target on her back of being the reason why the product is going to be late to the market, and they can have no choice but to try to point the fingers back upstream. Right, that's I mean, they, exactly. They can't let right. that land in their department. That's exactly right. So you just nailed one of the biggest issues, and that is that when we have conflict at work, which of course that will create some some consternation. Right, right. You know those people in and fill in the blank. So when people have conflict at work, oftentimes our instinct is to help them resolve their conflict. Okay. Except, what good would that have done in that case, right? What was at issue was that there was a disconnect. And had people had a chance to see how work was structured and flowing, they wouldn't have had a conflict in the first place. So people don't come to work to have conflict. When there's conflict, it is a sign that the work is poorly designed. Okay. Or people are poorly engaged in relationships that matter to results. Okay. And so... That was an opportunity to improve the way the work was designed. And, you know, fixing the conflict might feel better to people, but it doesn't fix the problem that caused the conflict in the first place. And and it's probably hard for those people to forget that the next time you put them on a cross-functional project where we're going to make something new, they go, I hope it's not the last time we're... Exactly. Right? Exactly. And there's your culture. One of the things that I learned from reading your book and, and talking with you is this idea that a company's culture maybe exists in the boundaries between the different organizations and how they interrelate. Yes, indeed. Yes. And so that kind of lends itself to the fourth decision in the book, okay. which is determine disconnects and how people deal with the uncertainty and ambiguity and disconnects that happen, like for the manufacturing manager, will determine your culture. Because culture is nothing more than how we interact with each other, how we behave with each other, right? right? And how we think about each other. And how we think about each other. And And those guys on the second floor. Exactly. And that's what you don't want, right? Right. So if people understand, oh, wait a minute, this is a disconnect in our work. They're not bad people. That's just a disconnect in our work. Pick up the phone and call them. That's how collaboration naturally happens in an organization. When people understand how their success is integrally tied to one another and they're mutually dependent on one another for their overall success they're naturally going to collaborate and be curious and pick up the phone and give each other the benefit of the doubt it really sounds like trust is sort of on a foundational level for all of this yes it is trust and and i think trust is built in those conversations those real conversations and can be broken and can be broken that's exactly right and it's hard to repair that 
It is. So depending on the outcome of that broken trust, right? Right. So why not fix it on the front end and engage people more effectively to make decisions on behalf of the business as a whole okay. rather than their functional areas? Because the scientists' intentions were good. They were trying to meet the cl- customer's needs. Right. They improved the product. They improved the product, and the customer was happier in that moment. Right. What they didn't know was that that was going to make things impossible at the other end and then ultimately make the customer not happy after all. Right. Right. So we just have to find ways to help people see. And the conversations themselves are building the capacity for collaboration because it's it's and that's the other piece of the five decisions. It's not just that we engage people in these conversations. It's how if we really understand that people have to be engaged in these conversations to build their own capacity to day in and day out, recognize an operational disconnect and address it themselves. Mm -hmm. That's how you really end up improving results and relationships. I'm just wondering, Tammy, how many CEOs who are listening to this or business executives have either in the company they're currently employed with or maybe in their career, think about a time they were on a cross-functional team and sort of the dysfunctional behavior that may get set up around that. I I can think of... Unfortunately, multiple times that I was either on directly or had people that worked for me that were on these teams. And the stories that would come back from those meetings, many times you go to those meetings just trying to protect your turf. And, yes. And not be the one who's the red line, the long tent in the pole, the problem child. It's It really can almost be as much energy around pointing the finger away from you as solving the problem. It, it can be. And that's why, uh, in addition to the five decisions and embedded with them within them, is a real leadership development. Okay. And not just leadership development for people in positions of leadership, but self-leadership, because everyone impacts the culture, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone impacts the culture of performance and accountability. And when things go bump, I need to understand that it's my responsibility, no matter what my job is, to make sure that we are collaborative and, and having an impact on the bottom line that is positive and on each other. So how would you advise a leader? When should a leader want the teams to go deeper in the cross-function to figure out is this, is this a, is a knowledge-based thing or come up a level and get back to uh, why are we even doing this? You know, What would your advice be for a CEO who's listening to us today? So that's a tricky question. And so here's my answer today. And you know, I think we just continue learning about this. But um, my answer to that is after the tech, let's use technology to stay with that. After the technology is implemented, and operations are struggling, people begin to get a sense that their work is connected in ways they've never thought about. And it's hard to talk about that beforehand because it's theoretical. Once people start experiencing um, product isn't shipping, you know, the the system isn't working, when that happens... Now you can talk to folks and figure out what's going on. So I I have found the most effective time to do this is, I like to say, we pick up where traditional change efforts leave off. So after the system is in okay, and you see where it is and isn't working, let's get a cross-functional team in the room where it's not delivering business results, where you're seeing more risk than return. Okay, Let's get those people in the room and very quickly... In my experience, very quickly, people figure it out once you get them thinking on behalf of the business as a whole. And sometimes they can be under tremendous stress, right? Oh, my goodness, When the, yes. when the newly deployed system makes you now blind to the inventory you had in your warehouse that you could see two days ago before you launched this new thing, right. that's not a happy time. That is not a happy time. And the pressure's time. on a set of people to figure that out because that can't exist. Yes, and they cannot figure it out in isolation from one another. Once the technology is in, okay. there's no figuring that out until you put everybody in the room together. Okay. And the only way to build that kind of wisdom in your organization is by getting people in that conversation. You know, the, um, 
I had a whole list of questions I wanted to ask you, and I'm looking at my clock and my engineer, and we're like up against it. I can't, uh, I, I kind of got engrossed in the conversation. So, Tammy, <laughs> I apologize for having okay. only has, having asked you half of the questions that I expected to ask you. I, I do kind of have to wrap this up. If someone wants to learn more about you and your book, where do you suggest they go? Well, um, our website would be a great place, www.partnership adv short for advantage.com www.partnershipadv.com and if they want to buy the book they can too? buy it there as well there's a book page on the website they can buy it there as well okay so these people are trained sometimes to go to amazon because they're all prime members they're lifelong learners could they buy your book on amazon yes the link on the website takes you straight to amazon or you could just go there okay. and look up unleashed and c-card s-i-c okay. so if they go through your website to amazon do you have a relationship set up with amazon where that benefits your company it's know? just a way to make it's it easy, easy for people to buy okay. it. Yeah. We want them on your website yeah. is what you're saying. I would love them to go to my website because okay. they can see if we can help them further. Than so how does it feel? Can you exhale now that, you're, uh, that you've published your first book? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. It feels good because it really was in the works for 20 years off and on. So 20 was, years. Yeah. You okay. Know, so yeah. this is vetted content then. This isn't just some, some idea you had over a weekend. This is tried and true experience-based it is. Information. It is indeed. So, final question, really. I know I'm going a little bit long here. What advice would you have for an, another person out there who feels like they have a book in them as well? Yeah, I, you know, it takes me back to a question you asked me the first day I met you. What's your why? Mm. And I, I do believe that's a very powerful question. And I think you have to have a why big enough to get you through it. And then once you have a why big enough to get you through it, Find somebody like I did, Henry DeVries, down in San Diego. He helped me see the roadmap to writing a book because I don't write books for a living. I consult for a living. Right. And that's an expertise. So find someone who knows that, right? So get your why clear in your mind, something that's going to get you through it because it could be a lonely process, as you know. Right. And then find somebody with that first vision of what it means to structure and create a roadmap for a book. Wow. So those are the first two biggies. I mean, I have more to say about that. I know we're short on time, but yeah. those are the those are the first two to get you started. I'd say. Well, thank you for being a friend of the program. In my pleasure, and thank a part you. of our community. Thank you. I'm very my happy pleasure. for you, and Thanks. we'll have you back on when you publish your second book. Okay, you got it. All I right, love that. all right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for this episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I need to thank, and I want to thank our advertisers, our sponsors: Center Club, Decision Toolbox, MBN Design, SunUp Group, and T and Company. Our engineer for today's show is Paul Roberts. Our producer is Joan Park, and I'm your host, Rick Franzi. If you'd like to learn more about the radio show or the CEO peer groups that I lead, visit our company's website, criticalmass4, spelled F-O-R, business.com. And until our next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.